Hear the word of our Lord from 1 John chapter 5, beginning in the 16th verse. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Now let us turn to the epistle of St. James, the first chapter here. And beginning in the 12th verse, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say, when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. So, I got asked recently by a listener about mortal and venial sins. He was a little worried because it sounded like Lutheranism posits a works-based solution to mortal sins and venial sins and how we understand forgiveness and grace. So, let's get into that a little bit. St. John, in the first epistle of St. John, In his fifth chapter, he talks about sin which does not lead to death and sin that does lead to death. This is where we get the concept of mortal sin, that is, sin that leads to death, to damnation, and venial sin, sin which does not. And we have these questions that arise from it. Well, what does it mean when a sin does lead to death or does not lead to death? After all, just about all of the saints except Enoch and Elijah, all of us die, even those who go to heaven. So St. John can't be meaning that this is a physical death. Uh, Maybe, maybe he could if he's talking about that case of an individual who's so hooked on drugs or so alcoholic or always putting himself in danger such that he will die, but mm, I still die. So I don't think that's a very open option for us to say it's a physical death sort of thing. Probably, much more likely, he's talking about damnation versus salvation. Somebody who is damned has died in their sins. They have died without faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, while somebody who is saved, well, they're not damned. Pretty easy to understand, right? But That's when more questions come up. That's when more issues start to arise in our minds, especially as we get a little worried about whether we have committed a mortal sin and whether we can be saved. The Lutheran position on this is going to be a little bit different than anything else you're going to hear. But let's look at the other understanding of it. Roman Catholicism posits that there are seven deadly sins, seven outlooks that we have that, um, if unchecked, if untreated, will lead us to damnation. You know, you have your gluttony, lust, pride, wrath. Uh, What are the other ones? Sloth, and then envy, 
and then greed. So the idea is, is somebody who has one of these seven deadly sins as the orientation of their heart, the thing that they go after, well, how can that individual be saved? I hear this kind of thing every now and then. It's the idea of you take virtue ethics and you replace it with a vice. And if a virtuous man is saved, then a vice-addicted individual is going to be the type that is not saved. At least, that's one take on it. But more properly, as far as I've studied, the Roman Catholic conception of mortal sin is a sin that is bad enough that if you do not go to confession and hear your absolution and do your penance, you will go to hell. So if a man commits murder, for instance, or adultery, or if he misses mass without a good excuse, <laughs> yes, that's listed as a mortal sin, and he dies on the way to church, on the way to the confessional, there is no hope for him, he is damned. Whereas a venial sin is a sin that will just land you in purgatory for some more time. And of course, you should go to confession and do your penance, because that will cut back on the time you would have in purgatory. But as Lutherans, we are bound by the scriptures. We are bound by sola scriptura. So it's trickier for us to understand what St. John is getting at here. I can't fall back on the doctrine of purgatory because the Bible does not tell me such a place exists. And the Bible does not explain to me the full hierarchy of sins. I have to go to the scriptures and do a little bit of investigating to find out what a mortal sin is and is not. Thankfully, the Bible gives us a bit more information, some really helpful ways to understand this. St. John writes in 1 John chapter 5, beginning in the 10th verse, Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, in case we get a little confused as to what he's saying here, a really good explanation is found in the Gospel of St. John in the 20th chapter. So let me turn there real quick. And here we see in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. If we look at how we are saved, it is by faith in Jesus Christ, as the Christ, the Son of God, who died for my sins. We are saved by faith. That is what gives us eternal life, is trusting in Jesus for my salvation. Now, if that gives me eternal life, then damnation comes from not believing 
in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, who died for my sins, who rose on the third day. St. Paul tells us basically the same thing. St. Paul says in Romans 10 verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. If we look at this, then your salvation is by faith, and your damnation would be by not faith, not having faith. If our sins, if a mortal sin is something that can give that up, or do something very wickedly, such that you are not saved, then it cannot coincide with faith. Because somebody who believes in Jesus, in their heart, is saved. They are going to heaven. So what is a mortal sin then? Because it's not about what you do, necessarily, that makes you saved or not saved. It is about a position of your heart. What is the disposition of your heart? And mortal sins are therefore, it's not about doing something really, really bad, or whether or not you did something really, really bad. It is whether your sin and how you understand it can coincide with a real, legitimate faith in Jesus Christ. In order to understand this a little bit better, how mortal sin is more of a disposition attached to our actions, Let's turn to the book of Acts, chapter 2, and in verse 37 and 38, let's, let's look at what St. Peter has to say about it. When they heard this, and by that, um, this is St. Peter's sermon at Pentecost, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit do? From Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 13, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So what does all this mean? Well, when we believe in Jesus, we are saved. It is your faith through which Christ saves you. And in your baptism, the Holy Spirit comes to you, dwells with you, and he is the seal or guarantee of your salvation. Somebody who is committing a mortal sin, who is in a state of mortal sin, more like it, is somebody who's chasing away the Holy Spirit. Somebody who does not have a faith that saves. Somebody who doesn't really want a faith that saves. Such a person, it's almost like they don't want to really be saved. or They're holding on to something like an idol that they don't want to give up in their faith life, in their religious belief. A good example would be somebody who has a special hatred for a person or group of people. And it is such that they want earnestly 
to harm them. They have no love whatsoever for them and only want these people dead or tormented forever and ever. Such a person is in a state of mortal sin. Because to say that well, every single person, according to this category that they're in, even if there's Christians among them, I hate them. Well, St. John says, if you say, I love the Lord, but hate your brother, you, you're a liar. <laughs> it's pretty simple there. That kind of hatred is something that puts you in a state of mortal sin because you are making an idol out of this hate that you don't want to repent from. Now, as to whether hate itself is a sin, we had a whole recording on that in a previous VLL upload. But there is a kind of hate which damns because it's sinful. It is not reflective of what God wants us to have as a disposition. The same could be said for somebody who commits a murder out of revenge, a motive of revenge, and they're happy that they did that. Now, of course, the fifth commandment is you shall not kill, and that includes this kind of murder. And this individual wants to hold on to his sin such that he is not sorry for it. He might even revel in it from his jail cell saying, yeah, that guy got me good, but you know what? I got him back and I saw his wife crying and I don't feel bad about it at all. He deserved it. I'm right. I got that vengeance. I feel good about it. Don't tell me to repent for it. It was the right thing to do. Well, such an individual is in a state of mortal sin. They have made an idol out of their sin. And such a person cannot have saving faith because they are impenitent. They refuse to believe that they even need to repent of that sin. They refuse to even consider that what they did was wrong. They believe at that point that they know better than God, that they know better than the gospel, that this isn't even sin, that they are the one in charge of morality, of what is right and what is wrong. And that's a sad thing to see. Now, St. John says, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. Well, why? Well, the Lutheran Study Bible, their commentary, I think makes a good point when it says, quote, if one refuses to repent and confess Jesus as the Christ and the Son of God, there is no point in asking God to forgive that person who stands condemned by his own stubborn unbelief and refusal of God's love. There's a good point there. Somebody who is sticking around in unbelief that hard is very, very stubborn, and there is a point when you, you really got to wipe the dust off your feet. Does that mean, though, that you shouldn't pray for them? No, St. John says, I do not say that one should pray for that. He's not telling you not to. Sometimes we have that son or daughter that walks away from the faith or commits something heinous that they're happy about. Uh, people leave their spouses all the time and are happy as a clam that they did it because of their new partner, their upgraded model. But you can pray for them. You're permitted to. That's okay. St. John is simply saying that if you don't, you're not condemned. But you should pray for somebody committing a sin not leading to death. We'll get to that later. But I think another thing that maybe the Lutheran Study Bible misses just a little bit is that repentance, properly speaking, is a gift from God. St. Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in the 22nd verse, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, 
along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Now, yes, St. Paul is writing about the opponents of the pastor, of the false teachers, and so forth and so on. Yes, but ultimately, if God can grant them repentance, in the Greek metanoia, a changing of the mind, then he is able to do that for just about anybody. And it is okay to say, listen, this individual is so stubborn in their sin that they just don't care about, I'm going to give this to God. This is going to be up to him. I'm not going to torment myself pining for somebody who is uh, stubborn in their mortal sin. But I do give it to God, and I hope that one day they will turn around, that God will give them that changing of the mind that leads them back to Christ. So that's mortal sin. And the question is, what do you do about it? If you find yourself in a mortal sin, and maybe God opens your eyes, if you're that murderer sitting in a jail cell and suddenly you realize, wait, you know what? I used to like thinking about the way that guy's wife cried as I was killing him, but man, I really hurt them. I really hurt people. I oh, know I need, I did something bad. And God starts to work on your heart such as to open it up and show you what you did and tell you that you need to repent. Well, what happens? And how does somebody go from a state of mortal sin outside of grace and back in to grace? Well, ultimately, the answer that the Catholics have is go to the confessional booth. Go to the confessional booth and do your thing there. Say your Hail Marys, do your penance, and then you've earned that forgiveness and been brought back to a state of grace. In the Eastern Orthodox Church, there is a temptation to point to the punishments in church discipline that St. John Chrysostom wrote of like, okay, well, you have to be in the back of the church for X number of years, and you can't take communion for X number of years. There's going to be this idea that, hey, if the church has the office of the keys, binding or loosing sins as is necessary, well, then we should do so judiciously. I would say... The Lutheran understanding of this is, well, okay, the office of the keys is like having a bunch of faucets of grace that they open up. And when, when the church opens it up, grace pours out, and then it closes it again based on what is necessary. So the Roman Catholic Church has the seven sacraments like baptism, the Lord's Supper, uh, absolution or penance, marriage, match, holy matrimony, extreme unction, holy orders, and there's one more that I'm forgetting, but I'll, I'll keep moving on. They have their seven sacraments that confer grace and everything like that, and these little spigots, they'll turn it on or off as they see fit. The Lutheran understanding of it is, okay, sure, the, the church has these spigots of grace, so to speak, but for the vast majority of cases here, we ought to turn all the way open this faucet of grace and then break off the handle and let that forgiveness, that grace, that mercy from God flood a person's soul. <laughs> if you wake up, and by that I mean you come to your senses, having committed a mortal sin, 
the Bible tells you, okay, go to God for forgiveness. The book of Lamentation says God's mercies are new every morning. If I confess my sins to God, I can rest easy that God has saved me. He forgives me of my sins. I'm truly penitent. He has mercy for me. I can go to the sacrament, to the table of the Lord, where Jesus has said and promised us, this cup is the new covenant, the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for the forgiveness of all your sins. Forgiveness of my mortal sin comes from the sacrament too. But then I can also go to the sacrament of my holy baptism. If I chased the Holy Spirit away with my sinful demeanor, with me wanting to have my way and idolizing my own sin, saying that I knew better than God, I can go back to my baptism and go, wait, okay, in my baptism there is the forgiveness of sins, as St. Peter says. I need to go back to that. I need to hear those promises again and remind myself of them so that I, I understand God has promised me salvation. And I return to those promises. I return to my baptism. And I ask the Holy Spirit to come back as the seal of my salvation. Yeah, so we have confession too. Private confession and corporate confession at the beginning of the church service where we hear the pastor pronounce upon us the words of eternal life. That Jesus died for that sin, for your forgiveness. And if you lay hold of that in faith to Jesus... You lay hold of what he did for you. Yes, you are forgiven. You're good. You're back to Christ. All these spigots of grace from the sacraments and the way faith itself works means that there is a lot of hope for somebody who has committed a mortal sin or is in a state of mortal sin. Because all God has to do is bring them to penitence, bring them to repentance that they might fear him and rightfully go to him for mercy. But then our Baptist friends might ask, isn't that a work? It, aren't you, if you're saying that I gotta have a guy pour water on my head, that's a work. Somebody's doing something. Or if you're saying I have to go confess my sins, that's a work. And you're supposed to be all about sola fide, right? Justified by faith alone, apart from the works of the law, as St. Paul says. Well, what's all this doing stuff? And to our Baptist friends, I understand the confusion. But there's a difference between a work, something that would in theory merit grace or merit a reward from God, and just going and asking for forgiveness, just receiving the good that God has promised. Let me put it to you this way. If your kid asks you for an apple and you give them an apple, did they earn that apple? Did they work for it? Did they do anything? No, they didn't. They just asked for something and you gave it to them because you love them and you have that grace in your heart for your kid. It's the same way with forgiveness. I go to God for my sins. I say, I'm sorry that I did this. I don't want to do this again. Please clean my heart from all unrighteousness. As St. John promises, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Please forgive me. I, I repent. And God forgives us. We, we stand under the blood of Christ. He sees us through those Jesus-colored glasses and forgives us. Does that mean that I did a work because I asked for it? No, I merely asked for God to be the one to do the saving here, to do the forgiving. It's still him doing everything. I didn't earn or merit anything by my own asking. And the same thing with baptism. Everything that happens in baptism is God's work, not our own work. 
So, while our Baptist friends might have a point that, yes, you can go to God for the forgiveness of your sins, and they might ask, well, why have all these other means of salvation if I can just go to God directly? We have to remember that God does like to work through means. And many times, human conscience is just going to have a hard time believing that they're forgiven just because they went to God privately in prayer and asked for forgiveness. It's good to hear that you've been forgiven. It's good to see the promises of grace, salvation, forgiveness, and eternal life given to us by the means of grace, of confession and absolution, the Holy Supper, and our baptism. So, can you come back from a mortal sin? Yes, yes, you can. Should you? (laughs) Should you examine your life to see if you've committed a mortal sin? If there is something that's holding you back from real faith in Jesus and real commitment to the gospel, yes, you should. But how much do you really have to worry if God has all this grace for you? And if he earnestly desires to save you, to bring you to repentance, to bring you towards him always and forever don't think we should really lose any sleep over whether we've committed a mortal sin. Instead, like Martin Luther says we ought to do, we should have an attitude of repentance and penitence, asking God for forgiveness all the time, going to church regularly to hear the gospel poured into our hearts, to hear the words of absolution, to take the Lord's Supper, to be reminded of our baptism. If we do that, then we're engaging with the preservation God has. We're receiving the fulfillment of the promises he has made us. And that makes it, well, not only less likely that you're in a state of mortal sin, but nearly impossible. You'd have to be one stubborn sinner to be holding on to something and refusing to repent for it if you're always hearing these things and always even saying the words of confession. Now that brings us to the question of venial sins. Uh, The Roman Catholic Church, of course, has talked about venial sins as something that merits time in purgatory. I would say that a venial sin is something that you don't even know you did. Chances are. Um, Strictly speaking, original sin is a mortal sin. Yes. But we are forgiven of that in our baptism. And so concupiscence arising from the sin that dwells in us in Romans chapter 7, St. Paul describes that. That oftentimes is a venial sin. I don't notice myself desiring sin all the time. I don't even think about it when I'm a busy guy trying to record stuff for the very Lutheran project or when I'm trying to be a good driver on the road. And, you know, that errant thought shows up and I maybe I bat it away. Maybe I think about it for half a second or ask for forgiveness, but it's something we forget we even did. The sins of presumption. And sometimes, have you ever been in a conversation where 12 hours later, you're like, wait a second, I lied while I was talking to that person. I didn't mean to. Just a lie came out of my mouth. I I should apologize for this. I'm sorry, dear God, please forgive me. We do this with cursing. It, It happens kind of automatically. It doesn't affect your faith in Christ. Because the the human self with the old Adam is naturally sinful. These things just happen. But as we read from St. James, such sins can become mortal sins. Sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Little sins, as Walter says, can become big sins if they're treated like little sins. If it's brought to my attention that I sinned and I just don't care, and I'm like, well, that was the right thing for me to do, 
well then I'm starting to go down that path towards mortal sin. I really should confess that venial sin, that little sin, and ask for God's forgiveness every day, all day. Ask for the forgiveness of all of my sins all the time so that I don't let it grow. That's what a venial sin is. Now there's a third kind of sin. I, I almost want to say it's a third kind that I think this is the real reason people tended to ask me about mortal sins and venial sins. Because if you know something is bad and you do it anyway, and you have a hard time giving it up, you still put your faith in Christ. You still are repenting of your sins. You're still relying on him for your salvation, but you have such a hard time quitting that porn addiction. Or you have such a difficult time quitting drinking so much. Oh my goodness, you're... You're chasing tail, and it is really hard to break that habit of chasing those girls around. Is that a mortal sin? Because after all, you're thinking to yourself, I keep doing it. I shouldn't be doing it. I try not to do it, but I keep doing it, and this is really hard. What do I do? Is Does this mean I'm damned? Am I doomed to hell for all eternity? Or those stubborn thoughts, those stubborn attitudes that keep cropping up, and I try to fight those bad thoughts. I try to avoid them or bat them away and everything, and oh my gosh, it just keeps coming. Does that mean I'm committing a mortal sin because I keep doing it? No. No, you're not. That is not a sin that is affecting your faith. You need to keep going to Jesus for forgiveness. You need to keep engaging with our Lord for your salvation. But it's not that you're not repenting. You're trying to stop sinning. You are trying to stop doing something God doesn't want you to do. That's actually commendable to make that effort. Because if you didn't care, if you just went ahead and did it, well, then you're, yeah, you are on the road to mortal sin. But if you're struggling with it, well, then that's not mortal sin at all. That's you trying to please our Lord, repenting of your sins daily, as we all ought to do. And you are trusting in Jesus for that forgiveness. That's not mortal sin. It's something we definitely ought to confess as often as we can, both to God and to our fellow man, to our pastors, or with the congregation on Sunday, however you want to do it. You have some freedom there. But that's something we need to hold on to, that he has mercy for you. You are not a lost cause, and he will help us with our addictions if we let him, if we trust him, if we keep trying, and if we get help. Do not worry whether that is mortal, and if you're hellbound because of that. So, with that, we hear mortal sin, we get really scared. Once we understand it, that the guy in a state of mortal sin is trying to run away from God, trying to push away the Holy Spirit, trying to have his way. Yeah, we don't want to be in that. And we should be careful to confess our sins and not get in the habit of sinning all willy-nilly. That's the word of the month, by the way, willy-nilly. I've said that too many times this August. <laughs> but... We trust in our Lord. We trust in him to preserve us in the faith and we keep going to him. And through that, you'll find yourself not even worrying about it because our Lord is merciful and gracious to us by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ who died, not so that we can walk on eggshells all our lives as believers, but so that we can run to him in faith, trust, and love. Amen and amen.